the War Nomads podcast. It's not your usual travel podcast. It's everything for the adventurous independent traveler. Hello again, wherever you are listening in the world. That sounded like a storybook opening, didn't it? <laughs> Hello again. But seriously, thanks for tuning into our podcast delivered by World Nomads, the travel lifestyle insurance brand covering more than half a million travellers. My name is Kim and... I'm sitting comfortably and my name is Phil. And are you wearing socks today, Phil? <laughs> I'm looking at you through the round window. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know. I did sound very play school, didn't I? There we now go. you didn't wear socks to work this week. No, I forgot them. Um, I um, I came up by bicycle to work and I forgot to pack them, so I was walking around sans socks. Sans socks, but he had that look, you know, where you you've got the cuff on the end of your jeans. Yep. So the whole ankle was on show. Very tantalising. <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> now, in this episode, last episode, of course, was Canada. This episode, we're heading to Panama in Central America, and I want you to tell me more about that place, Phil. Okay. Well, uh, this is an isthmus uh, connecting two massive continents. It actually used to belong to Colombia. They uh, sort of partitioned it so they could build the canal through the middle there. There's imperialism at work. Democracy, we deliver. Uh, look, the Panama's flora and fauna is incredibly diverse. Uh, they've got something like 900 different bird species. They've also got uh, plenty of uh, still, uh, you know, thriving indigenous tribes as well. Uh, but in contrast, the uh, capital, Panama City, is likened to Miami. Apparently it's a great big metropolitan metropolis, wow. modern metropolis, which apparently is really jumping and thriving and quite sophisticated. So to find out more about Panama in this episode, we'll catch up with Maka Sharifi. I made the mistake of thinking Maka was an Aussie. Maka. <laughs> G'day, Maka. No, he's a pom and he runs it. Are we allowed to say that? He's British. He's British. Yes, people may not understand. I did notice actually the other week you mentioned budgie smugglers as well, and I did mean to put in the show notes that that means, you know, like gentlemen's racing swimming wear. Exactly. I thought that too. You just assume that, you know. (laughs) Everyone knows what budgie smugglers are. It's part of the global language. Uh, Macca runs a blog called An Adventurous World and has spent three months living in Panama. Also, Jose from Teach PTY, wasn't he an enthusiast? Really nice chap. That's great. Yep. He Skyped us um, when it was raining really pouring with rain yeah you can hear it pretty much at the start of the podcast uh, at the start of the chat with him he has a social or teach pty is a social enterprise that offers travelers the opportunity to teach english to children and experience the panamanian oh that's gonna be (laughs) speaking of teaching english (laughs) i've got to learn to speak it the panamanian oh i've done it again here we go third time lucky Experience the Panamanian way of living. <laughs> and scientist Dr. Denise Hardesty on a massive pile of garbage in the waters of the Caribbean and spanning kilometres. Um, that was incredible if you haven't seen that story. You know, you hear those stories about that sort of island of plastic that's supposed to be in the middle of the Pacific. Well, no, it's off the coast of Honduras. Honduras. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we are in charge of a global travel podcast. <laughs> Come on, get me out of here. Come on. (laughs) All right, we'll also have music, travel news and Phil's quiz question. What have you got for us in this episode, episode three of the World Nomads podcast? Here's my quiz question, okay. Uh, Obviously about Central America, Honduras and Pamina. Do you know how many countries there are in Central America? That's not the question, by the way. I was just wondering if you know. Uh, no, I don't. No, there are seven. So here's the question. Just how many of those seven Central American countries have just one coastline? 
The answer at the end of the show. I'm going to stick around for that. Maka Sharifi is a travel blogger. He's a photographer and presenter who spent a few months. I'm already. I'm already. I'm just kicking myself that I won't be able to say it. A few months living in Panama, and he agrees with your description at the start of the episode, Phil, that it is the Miami of Central America. Yeah, it is. I mean, I think when you're traveling through Central America, a lot of the countries have the beautiful beaches, they have rainforests. But yet Panama City, um, the capital of Panama, is incredibly built up. We're talking about huge skyscrapers. Um, it's got really big malls, which are very common in Miami and America. Um, you know, lots of banks and commerce. And another thing as well is they use the dollar there. So um, uh, at times it honestly feels like you're in a, a very Latino America, basically. So that sounds un- unusual for me, only because whenever I chat to anybody about Panama, it's always about the Panama Canal and about shipping. Uh, so obviously it's so much more. Yeah, there is so much more. I mean, Panama City itself is incredible, incredibly beautiful city. You've got kind of a Casco which is the old town. So you've kind of got the old colonial buildings, um, beautiful architecture that you can kind of walk around and like really immerse yourself in the history of the city. Um, and then from there, you can actually like look over it and see all the skyscrapers from the banking districts as well. And yeah, there aren't many cities like that in Central America. So I think it kind of makes that very special. What is the difference between island life and city life? The difference is, is so drastic. I mean, I guess in the city life, it is very business focused you know they actually have like a large number of banks and commerce in panama city so you know it's very money orientated you know you'll see people wearing suits you'll see lots of expats there working in suits and it's very business hustle and bustle you know fast and furious and then you know you, you travel a few hours and you get to the beaches or to the islands and it's just chill time you know it's it's kind of cocktails on the beach, it's beers, it's sunbathing, it's relaxing. In the north of Panama, you've got Bocas del Toro, um, which are some islands, are like nine different islands, but very like Caribbean and Latino. Um, they've got this like beautiful merge of cultures there, and it's incredibly relaxing. I mean, it's just chill time. You know, you can go diving. They've got loads of really nice bars and restaurants there. You're gonna hire bikes and cycle around the island. They've even got like a couple of like nightclubs which are like in the water. One's like an old, um, kind of disused, abandoned, shipwrecked boat which is kind of in the water and you can kind of like party wow. basically above some sunken ruins. Yeah, it's really cool. Like it's really unique. Um, so yeah, Bocas del Toro is incredibly beautiful. And, and then to the south, you've got the Sandblast Islands which are kind of like 360 tiny tiny islands we're talking about you know like a few palm trees and just beautiful golden beaches and they are without a doubt the most beautiful place one of the most beautiful places i've ever been um they are just incredible they're they're pretty hard to get to they're very remote um you can only get out to them by by boat um but you can stay on the islands you know you can speak to the local kuna people there um, and eat with them because they're incredibly kind and, you know, they fish for lobster and, you know, like king crab and snowy crab every day. And So, yeah, there's um, in Panama, I think it's incredibly diverse. Uh, I think people kind of just think of the Panama Canal and, I don't know, I guess that's quite a cultural thing, um, but they don't realise that, you know, it's got the cities, it's got the beaches, it's got the water sports and hiking and everything else. Panama is 
a country that is uh, almost like Turkey, where East meets West. Panama is kind of at this confluence point where it links, you know, Central America to South America. So you have huge Latino influence there. You've got incredible food from the empanadas on this like street food scene to a really like up and coming kind of gourmet scene as well, which is incredible to see. Um, you know, you've got kind of like the dance you've got like loads of like influences from like puerto rico and again from colombia so you've got like the salsa yeah i don't know it kind of it has so many little things kind of going for it that just kind of creates this perfect blend of uh, a wonderful place to travel around and a tip from Macca, as Panama is one of the only cities with a rainforest within its city limits, it gets very humid. So if you're prone to frizzy hair, <laughs> you've got to pack some product to control it. We'll have a link to his blog and Adventurous World in our show notes. And now it's time to check in on our World Nomads. The best country was probably America and Australia. Take everything spontaneously and just see how it goes. Prepare like the minimum, the bare minimum, I'd say, and then just see how everything goes and enjoy all your time <laughs> sometimes we think the world is just a small city that where we live but there's so much different cultures around the world very interesting to know about it just go ready set and go you know it i would say it's one of the best things to do in life you know travel honestly going out on things going out on a limb experiencing things uh throwing myself out there more than anything a lot of people when they travel you know they worry about where they're going to stay you know they worry about money and everything and safety but i mean you just got to get out and just do it honestly there's been an article during the rounds recently and it's quite shocked quite a lot a lot of people we we're talking about it in the beginning just off the uh, honduran island of roatan roatan <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say, I can't wait until we get to Iceland. Oh, Iceland's already <laughs> causing me sleepless nights. <laughs> anyway, this island we'll, off we'll, Honduras. We'll come into our own in that episode, won't we? <laughs> off this island near the coast of Honduras is this massive pile of floating garbage. I don't know if you've seen the pictures. It's absolutely stunning. It, it spans kilometres of ocean. Right? And it's full of everyday plastic items, all the stuff that everybody's throwing away all the time, like chip packets, plastic knives and forks, Ziploc bags, and even thongs. Apparently, the recent hurricanes has, have contributed to gathering up all this rubbish yeah. and stick it in this part of the uh, of the Pacific. Which is why it's all in one big heap. One big heap. Well, we are going to be chatting to Principal Research Scientist for Oceans and Atmosphere at the CSIRO, who's described it as shocking and confronting. And Dr Denise Hardesty joins us via Skype right now. Hey, Denise, I can understand why plastic gets washed up into one place. We've all seen rubbish stuck in the corner of a river. But what's astonishing about this one in Honduras is just how big it is. It's pretty confronting, I think, you know, to see the amount of plastic in those photos or, you know, it's not just plastic, it's building timbers and all sorts of things that have really been washed out there. It's it's an astonishing amount from uh, the photographs that I've seen as well. All right. And, and that's partly due to the really bad hurricane season that they've had this year. Is that right? That is my expectation. That seems like the most parsimonious explanation. Sorry, I shouldn't say those sorts of things like that. Um, <laughs> no, no, it's all right. We've got brains. We're okay. We're with you. <laughs> No, but I realize I do talk in the geek speak a little bit. Yeah, I mean, my understanding, the first thing I thought when I looked at the photos that they were shown to me was, oh, yeah, well, we've just had huge storms come through there. This is clearly a result of those storms washing, you know, destroying buildings, destroying homes, destroying, you know, restaurants and businesses and everything 
along the waterfronts and in these islands and that it's washing out to sea and just creating these huge rafts of material floating around out there. We've had storms here and just walking to work this morning and I walk along the beach, there are just pockets of debris and amongst it are plastic bottles, sunscreen bottles, knives and forks, plastic knives and forks. What sort of stuff did you see? Well, we find everything from, you know, cigarette butts and beverage containers and cans and broken glass and things like that. Everything from that to toothbrushes and cigarette lighters, all sorts of floating things. We've also found, which I find really interesting, we find intact light bulbs. What? Places. How do they end up in the ocean? Well, I guess they float when they get thrown away. They go down, down the water and into the ocean. Exactly. And so those things float as well. And you're going to find those, you know, as you were mentioning on your walk, you know, along the beach this morning, you're going to find those in those accumulating areas, those areas that we call sinks that are basically going to respond or, you know, absorb sort of all the local trash that gets washed up in there. And those, you know, in those sorts of coves and goalie ways that are just going to accumulate all that trash that flows down the rivers, gets out into the coastal margin and washes right up on those beaches. But I guess the most worrying part of all that is the um, the stuff that gets called disposable, but isn't all that plastic stuff, all the bottles and uh, throwaway cutlery and things like that. That's the biggest concern, right? Well, you know, the the proliferation of single-use items in today's culture is a real problem given waste mismanagement, given actually what the true cost or true value is of these products that we make, use, dispose of. You know, and if you watch one of those videos that shows kind of the making of a plastic spoon and how it gets made and the chemicals that it's used and how it gets packaged and then transported and you know, the miles that it takes to get to a place to end up in a plastic bag in a supermarket so you can buy it for 10 cents, you know, at an individual item, you know, then I think the tagline for one of those videos is, is it really too hard to wash? So many things in our society that are throwaway, and we see those things on our beaches, on our coastlines, along our waterways and rivers and floating out there in the ocean sometimes. It's hard as a traveller, though, when you go to countries and you need to watch the water, for instance. So it's very convenient to buy a plastic bottle of water. I guess it then comes down to how responsible you are with that plastic bottle once you've finished with it. How responsible you are, what you can do around that. In a lot of places, you know, they have the large refillable 20-litre vessels that you can use. (gasps) Sure. You know, many places that we go, if you go to hotels and things like that, you're served things in plastic bottles and things. So I suppose you can ask, you can make responsible consumer decisions and try to make the choices that are in accordance with your values. And you really can do the very best that you can to make sure that things are disposed of properly and appropriately in places where there isn't clean drinking water and where some of those issues are a really significant challenge. What's the future of our oceans with this particular problem? Wow, it's not just going to be our oceans, it's going to be our land, it's going to be our rivers, our streams, it's going to be everywhere, right? I mean, with the proliferation of thin, lightweight plastic items that we use and throw away, our land is going to be full of it, our rivers are going to be full of it, our oceans are going to be full of it as well. I'm going to say, I think it's a really good thing that the the pictures of this, you know, rubbish Gaia, I think that's the right word, in Honduras have become so public. But it's not the only one, right? There are several of these around the world. Is that right? Oh, there are these accumulating zones or gyres, as I say with my American accent. There you go. (laughs) That are known. You know, there's five major gyres. 
out there in our oceans. And there are many other accumulating points. But I think the thing that's really interesting or really relevant to consider is that most of that plastic, most of the trash that gets out there into the oceans remains in what I call that sort of coastal margin or that littoral zone, which is L-I-T-T-O-R-A-L rather than littered zone. But the littoral zone seems to also be a littered zone because that's where we really find so much of the trash and the plastic. I tell you, you've seen one of these accumulation zones. You've been there, have you? Well, I actually worked out on Midway Atoll in the middle of the Pacific Island region many, many years ago. So those photos from Chris Jordan of seabirds full of plastic in their gut, I actually have slides, if you remember old school slides from back in the day, of exactly those same sorts of things. So I've been out there, out there in the middle of the Pacific working on one of those very remote islands that we found so much trash and so much of what we actually of what was picked up, and this was in the 90s, was cigarette lighters. You know, there were crates and crates of those stacked in rooms. So, yes, I have seen it. Well, let's hope these pictures kind of come to our attention and make us, you know, rethink uh, what we do with our plastics. You know, I think they're a really great visual that can hopefully act as a catalyst to increase people's awareness and to be thoughtful, not just about these really extreme weather events and what can happen, but how those items that we think are being carefully managed, how they still can leak out into the system and end up out there floating in our oceans. And I don't think any of us want that. Wow. What did you make of that, Phil? Mate, it's just, uh, it's just astonishing, isn't it, how much stuff is out there and how we can make, you know, just little changes to, hopefully we can make little changes to make an improvement. But look, it's so hard when you're travelling, um, you know, because you can't, you can't take your kitchen with you. You know, you can't pull a plate out of the drawer because you're travelling. So the temptation there is always to get a takeaway container. So, you know, you've, you've got to try and think about those sorts of things. Yeah, but as as Denise was saying too, it's even if you're responsible with that, that takeaway container, yeah. at some point it's very possible it'll end up in our ocean. Disposable is a dirty word, let me tell you. <laughs> but look, if you want some practical tips on how you can reduce your plastic uh, rubbish footprint, your trash footprint while you're travelling. I've actually written an article which we've published on World Nomad, so I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. But really practical stuff: take your own knife and fork with you, get a get a spork, yeah, um, and you know, look at bamboo products, toothbrushes. You can get bamboo toothbrushes. Think about how many toothbrushes get thrown away. The big one though, because you know, when you get try to get onto an airplane, you're not allowed to take a bottle of shampoo and you've got to get the, you know, less than 100 mil thing. Or champagne, you have to buy it on the plane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't take your own. Oh, I know what type of traveller you are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But there are millions of people travelling every year who get through the security check and then buy mini bottles of shampoo and conditioner and soap. Yeah. They're all in little plastic bottles. Get some reusable ones and bring that through with you and you'd be able to cut out millions of bits of plastic garbage. All right, we've got a new segment for the World yeah. Nomads <laughs> podcast. It's We've got... Ask Phil, we've got Phil's quiz question, and now we've got Phil's tips for travelling. All right, but listen, go read the article because there is one thing you can do that will change your plastic trash footprint forever. The one thing you can do to reduce your plastic footprint. So you can read that in the article. Where do we find it? Uh, Go to the show notes. There'll be a link there. It's in the Explore section on World Nomads. Now, at World Nomads, we're always encouraging travellers to immerse themselves in the local culture, and that could be as a volunteer English teacher. Jose founded and runs Teach PTY, in which volunteers help improve English language skills in underdeveloped communities. And we'll let Jose fill you in with the details. Well, Teach PTY, it's, um, it's a 
Panamanian way or a new way here in Panama um, to get to know a country by submerging yourself in it and helping the community by sharing places and cultures they will otherwise very unlikely discover through the introduction of a tool as valuable as a language. So um, basically, it's a volunteer organization dedicated to teaching basic English using interactive and creative methods. And we just want to attract young college student, graduate, recently individuals. Anybody who wants to contribute and get to know this beautiful country is more than welcome. And we will provide the tools to make that happen. So before we go on to how it was founded and what your background is, what do you mean by teaching English through interactive methods? Well, um, we got the curriculum from MEDUCA. MEDUCA is the Ministry of Education in Panama. So what we did is we got the English curriculum and we divided it into months and that month into weeks. And the way we teach is using games, for example. So what is included if you're successful as a volunteer? Well, if you get accepted, you get um, full accommodation. So you have your own bed, you have your own, you have your house, basically. Um, you have your meals during teaching days. Teaching days are from Monday to Thursday. So Monday will be, we plan the class for Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursdays. Uh, we teach from 3.30 to 5.30, so two hours in the afternoon, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Mondays, we plan the class, so we're prepared on what we're going to teach. Um, so I give you the meal, so it's breakfast, lunch, and dinner and during teaching days, so that's Monday through Thursday, as I just mentioned. And it's, I have a, an insta cook, and it's Panamanian food, which I must say, I'm a little biased because I'm Panamanian, but um, it's, my, our food is amazing, it's very tasty. And so we, we give you that taste also. And then from Monday, from sorry, from Friday to Sunday, then obviously you can stay and you can have your accommodation, have a kitchen, you can cook, you can stay here. But I encourage you to explore Panama. I help you out also planning up the trip. If you want to go to an island, if you want to spend the weekend here in the mountains, you want to go hiking, anything you want to do, I encourage you to do it. And I help you also plan it. And that's obviously extra cost because that's whatever you do on the weekends. Uh, but I encourage you to explore Panama because that's the whole point about it. Panama is very, very compact. We have so many things in a such small territory. So we need to get that. We need to. We need the world to get that, to, to see that. We have so many things to see. So... Um, also, the I offer you two nights in Panama City and one city tour at your arrival, and transportation um, when you arrive and when you leave to from Panama City to this town in Pedasi that is four hours away from the uh, from the city and is so different. Excellent. Well, let's wrap up with asking what your ultimate goal is. My ultimate goal is to create um, different type of these centers throughout Panama, and that the volunteer or traveler will travel through each center and travel Panama through its center. And one will be teaching English, the other one will be wildlife, the other one will be environmentally. So different kind of things that we can offer the community to help them while discovering, while helping, while exchanging cultural and other um, people ages and uprising. Thanks for that, Jose. We'll have a link to Teach PTY in our show notes. But right now, it is time to ask Phil. 
We've, <laughs> we've been searching for an intro. What do you think, Kim? Do you like that one? I think it's a start, Phil. I think it's a start. <laughs> we could probably improve on that one, though, right? And now, King Phil. <laughs> <laughs> yes, King Phil. That's very cute. All right, let's get into it. Thanks for the laugh. Yeah, okay, all right, moving on. And I've been delving into the questions and answers on our community forum, Ask Nomad, and this is an absolute beauty. BB asks, which country do you think is the best from these three, Costa Rica, Panama or Nicaragua? I'm a 20-year-old student looking for adventure. I like to see landscapes and natural beauty and would love to go scuba diving and hiking. Pretty clear question there, which of those three is the best? First two answers, people suggest Guatemala. It's not on the list, people. But anyway, righto. Uh, Alicia said, I've been to Costa Rica and Panama. I loved Costa Rica, especially if you want to include some adventure in your travels. Suzanne says, I'd pick Nicaragua as it's the new in place to visit and supposed to be more affordable with lots to see and do. Best answer comes from JD. I've been to Costa Rica twice and it's never disappointed me. If you're the adventurous type, you'll find tons of stuff to do. Well, I couldn't tell you much about scuba diving spots. I know there are some. Hiking and wildlife watching venues are plenty. Arenal Volcano area is beautiful and great for outdoor adventures like hiking, kayaking, at the lake and at the hot springs. We also went canyoning in this area as well, and it was one of the best experiences. And they've added a warning there. You get completely soaking wet. Sounds fun. Monteverde also offers some quite diverse wildlife as it's a cloud forest rather than a rainforest, which is like you know, rainforest is the rest of Costa Rica. And a word to the wise, go on a guided hike unless you're an extremely proficient wildlife watcher. Other parks where you can see different wildlife are Tortuguero and Corcovado. Corcovado. Opposite ends of the country. So, so you laugh at me. Opposite ends of the country. So hard to do both on a limited timeline. Another activity uh, uh, from JD uh, that they highly recommend is whitewater rafting at Rio Pacuare. It's a full day activity, but well worth, well worth it. The scenery is unparalleled and the rafting itself is very fun. If you have a travel question or think you can provide an answer, go to answers.worldnomads.com and ask a nomad. Okay. Well, I think it's time to find out a little bit more about Panama, Phil, what it's like to live there. And while we've mentioned it, we actually haven't spoken about the Panama Canal. Okay, Phil, meet Rosie Bell. She's a World Nomads contributor. Rosie, meet Phil. Hi, Phil. Hello. Hi, Rosie. This is amazing talking to the other side of the world. I love technology. (laughs) Yes. It is pretty cool. Now, we've spoken to Maca, who's a travel blogger. As I said, you happen to be a World Nomads contributor. What we didn't touch on with Maca is the canal. We've got to a point in the podcast where we probably need to touch on the elephant in the room. (laughs) What can you tell us about the Panama Canal? Um, Okay, well, would you like the kind of boring stuff, like dates, launch dates, who built it, all that stuff? Yeah, 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 because we're all about boring stuff on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) No, we want to know who swum nude in it, that kind of stuff. Oh, oh, I don't know his name. I forgot his name, but people have have swam. It's been done. Um, Well, okay, well, it was built by U.S. engineers uh, between 1904 and 1914. Um, it was started by French engineers, actually, but they abandoned it um, because of the high mortality rate of all the workers. Um, in a nutshell, it's basically a trans-Isthmian canal that, with locks at each
beach end to lift ships up to a man-made lake called Gatun Lake, which is above the sea level and then brings them back down to the opposite coast. So essentially connects the Atlantic Ocean and the Pacific Ocean. Why is it then that when you think of Panama, most people only think of the Panama Canal, but we're clearly finding out there's so much more to Panama? Well, it's because it's just amazing. It's an amazing feat of engineering. Phil, you're a bit of a romantic, aren't you? (laughs) Allegedly, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Rosie, he tries. What can you you tell us about this sunrise and sunset in Panama? Okay, well... Panama is the only country in the world where you can see the sunrise uh, on the Pacific and set on the Atlantic. It's the only place in the entire world where you can do this. And that can be done um, at the top of Volcan Baru, uh, which is a volcano in Boquete, which is a small town in the west of Panama, which is known for its coffee plantations and the Los Quetzales Trail for spotting quetzals. And that's pretty much the only place that you can do this. But apart from that, magnificent amazing feat um panama has so many beaches and so many islands and so many archipelagos um where else better to see the sunset or rise than on a beach that sounds pretty good for me it does and he likes coffee you mentioned coffee tell us about (laughs) the coffee in panama is it good well panama is becoming known for geisha coffee i'm not sure if you've heard about it uh sorry Um, no go on (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, okay, good, good. You're hearing something new. Um, geisha coffee is being described as the Ferrari of coffee, whatever that means. Um, it's not cheap, and it supposedly kind of tastes like tea. It's grown in the mountains of Boquete with the, uh, where the aforementioned volcano is. Um, and I actually am not a big coffee drinker. I'd never had a full cup of coffee before I moved to Panama, believe it or not. Um, but I went to a cafe here in Panama City called Mentiritas Blancas, which means little white lies, don't ask um and i tried it and it's really nice it's it tastes it tastes like kind of diluted coffee mixed with tea and something else a third magical ingredient that i don't really know and it's definitely not cheap rosie why why are you in panama what got you there why why have you moved there I actually wanted to come to Costa Rica two years ago because in my mind, Costa Rica was just the most beautiful place, heaven on earth, blue water, toucans everywhere. Um, And I went to uh, Costa Rica two years ago and I found it a little bit disappointing. It was very expensive and it just didn't feel Latin at all. It felt very, very, very Americanized. Um, And I just decided to go to Panama on a whim just to sort of check it out for a couple of days. I thought I'd be there for five days tops. I ended up never going back to Costa Rica. I absolutely fell in love with it. Uh, It was so much cheaper than Costa Rica. The same nature, if not even more beautiful. Really, really lovely people. Very down to earth. You can actually connect with like, and see people from indigenous tribes. They're not hidden somewhere in the mountains. Like In Panama City, you see Kuna Indian women walking around with their traditional clothes. Um, The beaches, I mean, my my blog is called The Beach Bell. The beaches are absolutely stunning. And before I came here, I'd been to Hawaii and that was the most beautiful place that I, I thought I'd seen. But coming to Panama, I was just so, so, so taken aboard by just how beautiful it was. And in Bocas del Toro, which is absolutely my favorite place in the whole country, like your mode of transportation is by water taxi. And personally, the novelty of that never fades for me. Has what sort of adjustments have you had to make to the way that you live? Obviously, there's you know a Panamanian, Panamanian style of living. Have you, mm-hmm. Describe that for me. What's what's it actually like there? 
Well, uh, apart from being beautiful and warm all the time, there are some some drawbacks. You know, no, no, every paradise has its problems. Um, and one thing that's very difficult and that most expats here will tell you is that just getting things delivered to your house, there isn't a mailing system. So you can't really order things from Amazon or whatever. There's quite a long-winded system where you have to get a mailbox with mailbox, etc., And then you open something in Miami and then it goes there and then it comes here. Or you have to use couriers. Um, I've known somebody who had a bank card replacement posted to him to a hotel that he was staying. And it, the hotel received it two years later. Things like that. <laughs> I want to pick up on something Macca said from girl to girl. He said, living in a city by a rainforest, massive humidity, hence a lot of defrizz needed for the hair. Can you you agree with Macca's sentiment? Oh, my gosh, yes. I actually considered mentioning that too. Um, my, uh, My flatmate who I live with had poker straight hair when she lived in Brussels, and now her hair is sort of Nicole Kidman in the 90s. Um, it's just crazy. I've got one more question, and that is, have you, okay. got, have you got a spare bed at your place? I'm on my way. It sounds awesome. <laughs> I mean, I've got, a, I've got a lovely room with a fabulous cascading view of the city, and I see the Pacific when I wake up. I don't know if there's space for you, though. I don't know. Uh, oh, I feel. I'm devastated for you. <laughs> oh, shocking. Thank you so much for the chat. No problem. Thank you so much for asking me. This has been brilliant. Phil, what's travel news this month? Oh, well, here's a reminder to check the rules about taking prescription drugs into another country when you travel, with a British woman facing jail or even the threat of execution for taking strong morphine-related painkillers into Egypt. Let's not get into detail or jump to conclusions about what she did, but she says it was all very innocent and she was just taking them to her husband who lives in Egypt. Have you ever been on a cruise, Kim? I have. I did the, I say, I pronounce it the Straits of Malacca. Okay. Which I think in Greece is something different, isn't it? And didn't the Straits of Malacca in Singapore? Yeah. Okay, it's Malacca, right. is it oh, right? right? Okay, right. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm with I you. Did that. I did that. It was about four days and... Yeah, we had a seven-year-old with us, so we thought it was a perfect kind of thing to do. Well, that's right. I mean, lots of cruising is really popular with families. But Virgin are going to get in on it as well. Virgin Voyager, they're calling it. Uh, it's not, it's, you know, not usually when kids are around. It's not usually independent adventure travel. But they're going to say they're going to change that. They've just laid down the keel and they're going to launch pretty soon a ship that is strictly adults only. Nobody nice. under the age of 18. A Virgin spokesman said they would provide a sophisticated ship and a transformational experience for passengers to enjoy both daytime activities and an exciting nightlife. Mm. Do I sound like the Virgin spokesman then? Yeah, you do. So we're talking about a massive floating party bus, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but look, I, you know, I'm not convinced. I, you know, there's just one word I want to give you about cruising, all right? Norovirus. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Uh, look, a flight attendant has revealed the best place to sit on a plane to get great service. And no, it's not business class. If you're down the back of the bus, as they say in economy, get yourself right down the back, near the galley at the back. She said flight attendants don't like answering call buttons where passengers want another mini bottle of wine when they're up the front because they have to you know, take it all the way up the aisle and everybody sees it and they all start pushing their buttons going, I want one too. But if you're down the back near the galley, they'll happily slip you another little mini bottle. Yeah, but that's where the loos are too. On what a long-haul you, flight too. What do you want, wine or lose? Okay. Um, yeah, I'll take the wine. 
All right. Uh, Iceland-based budget airline Wow is beginning service. I think you pronounce it that way. No, you knows. probably it's don't. It's Icelandic. We'll find out in our next podcast when we visit Iceland. When we visit Iceland. Uh, anyway, Wales beginning services from the East Coast USA to Europe starting from $99. Yep, wow. The flights include a stopover in Reykjavik and the, it must be part of a return fare, but JFK to Europe for under 200 bucks, wow. as they say. Wow. Good on you, Wow. They are a budget airline, so they charge an extra fee for everything like booking over the phone seat allocation, breathing, you know, yeah, that You've got to be stuff. careful of hidden costs. That, absolutely. Okay, now here's a nightmare flight for you, okay? A Qatar Airways flight from Doha to Bali had to make an emergency landing in India recently after a passenger on board discovered her husband was cheating on her. While he was sleeping, she used his finger to unlock his phone... <laughs> And she discovered the affair. Now, I wish I could sleep that soundly on a plane, all right? That's, insane. That's great. Yeah, but pretty soon she uh, he wasn't sleeping anymore because she was going ballistic at him. And she wouldn't calm down. They tried to get her to calm down and she wouldn't do it. So the captain decided, I'm going to have to divert. So he landed really? at Chennai. They offloaded her, her soon-to-be ex-husband and their child and flew on to Bali. Oh, wow. What a scene that would have been on the plane. Wow. All right, last bit. The U.S. National Park Service... What a great time of year it is right now to go to a national park in the US, by the way. Fall, it's great. Anyway, they're taking applications for places in next year's intake of volunteers. They're hoping to recruit a million volunteers, either in like one-day programs, short programs, or others that you know can last up to months. There's an artist-in-residence program that you can apply for, photography and art and all those things. And there's even some live-in volunteer projects that you can take part in so you get to live among that beautiful scenery. That's amazing, isn't it? Well, anything else you'd like to share I'd with I'd just Trouble say News? if you want to know about that, head on over to nps.gov forward slash get involved and check out the opportunities. I'll put that on the show notes as well, though. Okay, let's wrap this episode up on uh, Central America featuring Panama. Uh, as we've joked about, and the reason we're joking about it is because you and I, we have trouble with even the basic of names. We're heading off to Iceland. It's going to be ugly, is all I can say. It's, it's going to be very ugly, so <laughs> make sure you look out for that one on iTunes and... Google Play and Stitcher and your favourite podcast player. The World Nomads Podcast. Explore your boundaries.